Welcome to 305 Cast, the Arsenal Miami podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from Miami, Florida. I got a great guest on today. It is Drew. You know him from the Gooner Talk. You know him from all of the, the blogs that he writes and all the other websites that he, he writes for. Excellent writer. Go check out his stuff if you get a chance. Uh, we talk uh, for a good amount about a lot of stuff. We have a good conversation about the nature of agents in the game because that is a relevant thing nowadays that that the 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 role of an agent or the especially with all the firings that have happened recently and I know that it's been talked about but now as more information is coming out and some time has passed, I think it's a good time to kind of revisit it and reevaluate uh, what exactly is going on there, what happened at the club, uh, where we see the the nature of of footballing with with respect to agents and representation and what the actual status of an agent is you know is key actually an agent uh we talk about that uh we also talk about some news that we're having recently that uh about william and what we think his role is will be in the team whether we think it's a good signing or not because it does look like that's about to happen uh i'd hope it's not one of those curses where you announce something or you uh discuss something rather in depth and then all of a sudden it doesn't happen but it's one of those cases is where I feel where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's definitely been a lot of smoke around this one. So uh, I think it's safe to say that one's going to be happening. He just said, hey, ladies and gentlemen at Chelsea, it's been real, but uh, peace. So hopefully that means that he's coming here. He also went and, uh, you know, FaceTimed with David Luiz saying always together or whatever with a little Brazilian thumb and pinky thing. So I like to interpret that as he's going to be coming here as an Arsenal fan. Um, I know a lot of people are a little bit on the fence about him as a player. And yeah, you can think whatever you want. But anyway, I'm not going to talk anymore because we have a great conversation about all things uh, Arsenal. And uh, at the end, Drew has a very, I would say, controversial opinion about Aubameyang, but it is a nonetheless interesting one. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Drew. <laughs> Drew, how's it going? It's going all right, bud. Happy Sunday. How are you? Good. Happy Sunday. How's your summer so far? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's a tricky question considering. It is. <laughs> it is. On? It is definitely a tricky, uh, tricky question, <laughs> but, you know, given, given, all that's going on. How's your summer? Independent of that, I guess. I mean, it's it's been all right. Um, I've had the opportunity to to do a lot less than normal, which has been nice. Um, obviously, there's an FA Cup win that I can add to my summer, so that always helps. Um, other than that, it's been, it's been pretty normal, despite the the abnormalities. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, and we've we've talked a lot, like on on Tom's podcast and the Gunner Talk. Um, but you've actually never been on this one, have you? That's correct. I have never been on this podcast so this is the first time all right well whenever someone comes on this podcast for the first time i like to give the listeners a little background you know let's start off with first of all you're from new york right that's correct yes all right so how did you actually come to support arsenal oh man uh <laughs> this is such a and you know me i can get very very long and drawn out so i'm gonna try and keep this one slightly brief hey look um, hey, whatever whatever you think can tell the story that's what i want to hear. <laughs> so essentially uh, I've been playing the sport uh, since I was six, and I'm, I'm 36 now. You know, I don't look 36, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, my childhood best friend, uh, his uh, his opa, uh, was from Germany, born and raised, and moved here um, in, the, in the 60s. Uh, he was a massive Kaiserslautern fan. Um, and when I started playing when I was young, he always wanted to talk to me about the sport. So at first, actually, I was 
far more into German football, which still remains to this day. That's why I have a huge connection to it. But um, I also had a lot of exposure to Dutch football. So I knew of Dennis Bergkamp before he came to Arsenal. Um, he's, he's been my favorite player ever, you know, since that famous Ajax season. Um, and then even before that, because he wasn't there for it. Um, so maybe like starting like 1993, 94, I was really getting into the game. And then he ended up coming to Arsenal. Um, and that's kind of what made it stick for me. And then, you know, obviously Overmars came as well. Um, and that kind of just kind of rammed it home. And I've just been an Arsenal supporter ever since. And it grew over time. Um, and unfortunately, because we're in the States, we didn't get that, <laughs> the privilege of having that that local connection right. um, to, to the game. So for us, it's always, there was some, something had to happen for us to say, you know what, I want to watch this club more. And for me, it was very camp. So, yeah. Hey, look, you know, in terms of a catalyst for getting into a football club, like Burkamp doesn't get much better. You know, I don't, I don't know if we had much better since then. I mean, arguably Thierry Henry, but even Thierry Henry would say Burkamp, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you have to assume just for just, again, the sheer class and, just how intelligent a football he was. It was so much fun to watch. All right. Well, in, in, now I guess that we're talking about it. What was your favorite Dennis Burkamp memory? Oh, man. So there's two. Uh, I can remember vividly where I was, who I was with when he scored that goal against Argentina uh, in the Ooh. World Cup. Uh, so for me, that was just like, and I remember just, I was absolutely blown away by it. That's an, um, it's an incredible goal. If you haven't seen that goal, go Google or YouTube, whatever. Go check out yeah. the goal against. Make the sure you get the the Dutch commentary because it doesn't do it justice without it. So oh, that guy! That one <laughs> just goes ape over it. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Um, <laughs> and then the other one is um, a lot of people want to say that the, the Newcastle goal because people still to this day can't even really figure out, you know, how he gets that touch. You know how he yeah. gets himself into space. But for me, I actually think. It was his first goal for the club because mm. at that point he came from Inter with, you know, categorically it was not a typical Dennis Burkham performance when he was at Inter comparatively to when he was at Ajax. And then he started slow here. You know, a lot of people questioned if it was the right move. Um, and then you just see it, it's not even almost just the goal. It's his reaction to the goal. Just you can see it. You can see the weight come off his shoulders. And then after that, the rest is history. So for me, I would probably say... I think yeah, I think it was his first goal for the club probably my favorite. Yeah. Look, that's it's a special moment. And then who knew that you know, there was all that buzz around him when he signed, but then who knew yeah. he would go on to be the kind of legend he was, right? Yeah, I agree. It's just oh yeah. I can I could gush all day, so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well look, you know, now that we've we've talked a little bit about that, um we haven't had a lot of uh players to, of that caliber i think especially in that creative position i mean people thought ozil was going to be that right and yeah. it looked like for a while he was but obviously that didn't turn out the way we all hoped yeah <laughs> man it's i mean ozil is up there with the disappointments at the club for me and it's not even necessarily that you could say that he's just not a good enough player because some players they come they get hyped and, and they start strong and and then right. they taper off and it's never what it was but there's no denying the level of ability that Mezzo Ozil has and, and had throughout his career. So you can't even say that um, it's, it's, you know, for me, it's something else. And I think you and I have spoken, you know, on WhatsApp quite a bit about it. And we've been in quite a few debates with, with, with Tom and everyone at TGT about, you know, what the problem is. And none of right. us are really going to know. And we're not going to know until he makes us aware of it. But for me, I just don't think it's something as simple as he just want he just wants to sit there and collect money because he doesn't care, and and you see it. 
Um, it's, it just reminds you of someone who wants so badly to do something, but deep down they know they no longer can. So they're trying to hold on a little bit. And while that might not be necessarily healthy, I think for me, it's clear that there's this other issues going on. And it's unfortunate because he's been one of my favorite players over the last, you know, 10, 12 years, you know, the course of his career since he started yeah. at Schalke. He's been so much fun to watch. And that season where he came so close to, <laughs> to, to, to that assist total, but then everyone wanted to sort of string up Olivier Giroud and, and, and blame him for it. But that's the kind of season that everyone, I think, expected they were going to get year in, year out, and it didn't happen. When the wages kicked in, you know, it was all downhill from there. And you know how sometimes our fan base can be with all due respect. Once something negative happens, they're going to use it as a stick to beat you with for the rest of your time here. So it just never panned out, and it's, it's been unfortunate. Yeah, I agree. It definitely has been unfortunate. And look, you know, it, it's a mixture of him and then, you know, conversations with his agent. And, yep. you know, it's it, it doesn't it, it ends up not working out. And it's a shame because he was such a quality player. And I think that there was a lot of hope, like you said, put into him, uh, you know, as like a mainstay in our midfield. And I guess speaking of agents, there has been a lot of <laughs> there's been a lot of talk around agents and stuff. We even mentioned it on 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 the Gunnar talk about, you know, but I'd like to delve into it a little bit. Basically, this this notion of, of agents, super agents, what the club is becoming right now. Um, maybe touch on the the layoffs. And now that we've there's been a couple days break, it's not, you know, I like not to be as reactionary as possible. You know, I, obviously as a sports fan, it's hard not to sometimes to react. You know, I'm a human being, but uh, I like to step back as much as I can. So. In your view, in case someone has been living under a rock for the past couple of days, what exactly has happened with Arsenal in that regard? And uh, and, and we'll talk about the implications of it as well later. Sure. So, I mean, originally it came out that the club was, uh, they put out a statement, you know, citing what's been going on with COVID-19 and, and financial implications of that, and that they would unfortunately have to let a bunch of employees go, and, they, and they've been dubbed now the 55. Um it's funny that now there, there's more debate about it, but originally people just assumed that it was just 55 employees. Now, if you go back and read it, it's not 55 employees, it's 55 roles within the club, which could, like, if the role is, if you're a cashier at the ground on match day, there's not just one cashier covering Emirates, there's, you know, dozens. So it, it could easily be a couple hundred employees that are going to have to be let go. Um, and it turns out that, you know, the club just couldn't sustain it anymore whether they wanted to do that. So, that first happened, and then there was a lot of angst, shall we say, about that, because mm. as everyone likes to remind us, we have a billionaire owner, and everyone wanted to just, you know, kind of bang the drum of, you know, will Stan can, you know, front the money for their salaries to keep them in a job, and then people, <laughs> which the more frustrating thing for me is people blamed certain players' wages as to why those uh, employees have to be let go. So then they wanted someone like, you know, Mesut Ozil to be been from his contract so that we could afford to pay for the people to keep their jobs. Um, and there was just a lot of debates swirling around, you know, what, what what's morally and ethically correct to do here? What's the position that, you know, ownership should be taking? And then off the back of that, it then came out that we were losing some key uh, scouting staff. So Francis Kajigao, uh, Brian McDermott, um, I think, uh, Clark was another one. Tony Clark was another one. There's a, a few more after that as well. They were also being let go. And then people assumed that they were a part of the 55 to be let go because of financial implications. But as times move forward, we've now seen that there's actually quite a few senior 
scouts at the club have been let go. I think it's somewhere between like eight and 10 at this point. And in the aftermath, as the dust has settled, like you said, it's, it's, it's come out that Edu has done pretty much, he took a microscope to the whole setup and deemed it to be unsatisfactory. And that's why he's letting people go. Um, I know we'll come on to more of it, but for me, that's the right thing to do. And it's also completely normal. When, when someone comes into a directorship role and, and new into that role, one of the first things they'll do is they'll survey, you know, what the setup is and how can we make it better and, and where we can streamline and, and what's gone wrong before. And if he's looked at it and said, you know, this has not been up to standard to where we need to be and how we're going to get ourselves to compete moving forward, I need to make changes. That's why he's let people go. And I think that's completely normal, um, especially here, you know, in, in, in corporate America. So I mean, that's a, I mean, that happens all the time, every day, you know? Um, right. So, and I think that well, some of the angst has come in because like, change, change, is, change is frightening sometimes. Um, and, and this is a football club that does, you know, the fans do a really good job of trying to support, you know, um, foundations of community and, and togetherness. And, you know, I think that's why they had the initial reaction of, well, let's do what we can to actually try to support the people that don't have to lose their jobs. I think that's unnecessary. I mean, and, and, and that's not necessarily inherently a bad position to take. Um, but unfortunately, in 20th century sports, professional sports, it's a business. And there's going to be a lot of decisions that are going to be run that you see businesses and corporations make, maybe not necessarily football clubs. And it's not just at this football club either. I know we were the first one to make the jump of letting people go. But it also came out in the aftermath that we have we had hundreds of more employees than, than most other Premier League clubs. So right. we were already bloated in a lot of different departments, so we had to make changes. And it sucks, but you know, that's kind of where we sit now. And, and while it does, um, while, I, while I feel for the people who are or already have lost their jobs, I'm also all for a bit of modernity and, and moving forward and trying to, to do things in a way that are actually going to help us in the long term. So we'll have to just see how we're with the pieces continue to lay. Yeah, and I think that you touched on a lot of interesting points there and definitely important ones, especially the morality of it. Like I get this concept that we're, you know, we're in a very difficult time now, but that's that's not just for for us necessarily. It's also for businesses. And that sounds like, okay, how you know, you have this billionaire owner, how difficult can it be? Um, but look, they don't want to lose any money either. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that, I think, yes, from, from a, you know, from a moralistic standpoint, from a humanitarian standpoint, he should be digging into his pockets to, to help these people so that they can keep their jobs. Right. But look, this, it's not a realistic expectation for a businessman and I, whether that's the right one and whether that's something you want to use against him, fine, that's your prerogative. But from from the perspective of does it make actual sense from a business perspective, I understand the move, right? And and going back to your point, uh, you made an interesting point about a manager coming in and assessing kind of what is is do, is right and wrong. Um, or in, well, right and wrong is kind of a moral term. What I mean is what is working and not working. Um, and, and that's when, when obviously our management took over and the structure changed and everything. They came in and sat down and looked at what was happening and kind of made a determination, is this really the best way to go forward? And my understanding was, at least with scouting, was that Wenger kind of had these scouts in permanent roles in the club all over the world. So he had yeah. some in Italy, he had some in France, he had some in Germany, he had some, you know, wherever. And those people were, were six-figure salary, you know, or, or, or thereabouts, a permanent position at the club um what i've come to understand and correct me if i'm wrong or or but but 
what I understand now is that we're using a lot more data analysis to to locate certain areas and players across the world rather than uncover them and then maybe uh, analyze the data in conjunction with that. We're saying, hey, you know, this player looks pretty good. Let's go send some scouts over there, right, that we already have, that we don't have to just have these people mining in different countries, which I guess the way that they evaluated it was that it was too much money or whatever. So do you think that that approach is a more realistic one given the kind of modern turn of football? Or do you think that there is some merit to having permanent scouts all over the world? Um, I guess, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I want to I roll it back a bit. So when people remember what, when Sven Mislitek came to the club, one of the first things he, he publicly stated, because um, it, it was up to our, our public knowledge, was that he thought the scouting department was too bloated at the club. So this isn't mm. this isn't something new for for someone to come in and, and note that. Listen, maybe we have way too many scouts running around the place. And if you remember, Mislintat is very much a data guru, right. um, not necessarily a data guru, but with a lot of faith in data analysis and compiling, and then looking at that and seeing trends or um, maybe certain uh, things that the club's looking for on a player, whether it be, you know, their, their completed pass percentage or whatever it might be. And then if you, you filter those things through and you'll say, I like these kind of people, now let's go scout them to see if, you know, like people like to say, let's, if they pass the eye test, because you, data analysis doesn't, you know, handle the intent. Thing. Right. And doesn't tell, it doesn't handle the intangible. So to be clear, I don't think anybody is actually really sitting here and saying that you should not have any scouting at all. That's not, realistic or logical on any standpoint so you have to have a bit of both um and so moving forward sorry but i feel like people have kind of interpreted it as we're getting rid of all of our scouts yeah yeah which which is insane to me because (laughs) even if you look at other clubs that are very data-driven in their scouting like liverpool for an example they still have scouts you still have to go and see you know i like what this player is showing from a number standpoint but let's just see Little things like even, and I know this for a fact because I, I do know one or two people who are actually professional scouts in Europe, and mm. they will they will, and then Tom and I interviewed one um, on TGT, um, Oliver Zazegar, and he will sit there and tell you that um, you can you, like you have to go and see little things that that numbers can, and he's a big fan of data, but if a, if a, if a, if a player is, is putting in the right numbers in the match. But they don't train if they don't train well. If they don't get along with their teammates, if their work rates aren't there on on the training pitch, if little little tiny things that you won't know if you just look at a number sheet. That's 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 what passing the eye test is. Also, if they're if they're performing consistently, like these are little things that you know you need both for. Um, but the thing is, is you know we had an enormous amount of scouts globally. It was something like the eighty, like 80, 90, 100 scouts globally. And that's just too much. You know, you don't need that many. So you don't need like little scouting cells. So like, for example, you had uh, Kajigao was the head of international scouting. So wherever he had his home base, you know, is, is where he was operating out of personally. But then you would have people living full time in somewhere like Brazil, um, you know, Portugal, uh, you know, like the countries that we, we could go on and list where, where we routinely you know, brought players in from if they weren't from UK. Um, and it's not really a need to, to have that happen, to, to worry about things like, because um, if, if they're going to move in there full time, you have to pay them bigger wages. And a lot of clubs now moving forward have scouts on contract, not on salaried full-time positions. Hmm. Yeah, um, sometimes they probably have something like a living stipend even, yep. you know, so you're, you might be paying for their cost of living as well in many cases. 
Exactly. And, and then if, if all these things come into play, and it, and it came out afterwards is why I forget if it was Charlie Watts or, or David Watson that reported it, but the number that the, the 2.5 million pounds saved getting rid of people was a vastly understated number. And I think I, we could agree if it came out that the club was only saving 2.5 million pounds of, after getting rid of hundreds of people, then we could all agree that, okay, well, that's a little ridiculous. You're right. firing this many people for 2 million pounds. I would understand the angst at that point. But there's no way that figure was correct. So if you move back to scouting, I just feel like this. If it, we haven't competed on the pitch in terms of results and our, in our ability to bring in the, the, the proper players into this club for a while now. Call it the last decade, just to be relatively safe. If this is going to be a move that's going to help us moving forward in, in both those things, why wouldn't we take that on immediately? And for me, that's kind of the brass hacks of it. You know, at that point fans can't you know, get get angry about us not doing the right things to move this club forward, but then when we try to do the right things to move this club forward, then they get angry about it. You know, it can't be a vicious cycle. Um, and that's why I went back, circled back before when I said about change. Change is, is scary, and this is very different from what we're used to. You know, Arsene Wenger was adamant that he did not want to deal with things like super agents, like the George Mendes of the world and Kia, Jurabshin, uh, people like that. He, he was adamant about avoiding links with that. But with, with how much money is in football now, um, even from earlier ages, players, rightly so to their credit, are, are going to want to be financially managed correctly because there's been a lot of players in, in the last 20 years who have been managed poorly financially and, and they've gotten screwed over for it. So um, from their standpoint, you kind of have to understand why they would want to be uh, a part of an agent consultancy firm um, and regarding their finances. I don't necessarily blame them. Um, and this, this notion that the agents are the ones that are telling us what we're doing with our transfer businesses is, is silly at best. Um, so no, I think if this is going to make us better and it's going to help us compete, and if we're going to get in the right players, um, ones that we actually can afford, then I don't see why you wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. And you wrote an excellent piece on kind of the, the nature of the agent and, and kind of the, the story behind that. So, um, it's on, it's on the Gooner talk, uh, blog. So if anyone wants to check that out, go read it and we'll get into the specifics of, of what you wrote because i think that a lot of it's kind of relevant to this discussion we're having but backing up a little bit in one aspect of it it's kind of you you mentioned kia but it's kind of it's kind of a misnomer to call him an agent isn't it it is he's he's not an agent he's not a licensed agent and and with the way the the fa rules work you know someone like him or or someone like george mendez he's licensed he's he's gone through the motions he can handle players like that directly. He has his own agency firm um, where he has dozens of players on that list. Um, but but Kia isn't. So he was somewhat of a finance guru. He worked on Wall Street. You know, he opened up his own financial consulting firms. Um, so he's not an agent in the same way as he's he, he consults players. So he doesn't always have players on um in contact full time, so someone can go seek him out, and they can say, you know, listen, uh, whatever it might be, you know, if it, say the Pepe deal, now if Kia didn't work on the Pepe deal. George Mendes actually helped broker the deal, but yeah. if it was Kia instead, uh, Pepe could go to Kia and and for whatever, however Kia would charge him, I'm sure, um, he would he would advise Pepe on 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 his best financial options available to him, whether it be what are you going to get if you stay at Lille? What what kind of maybe negotiating power would you have with them? Here's what Arsenal offering you. You know, what could your position be with here? Or should you wait for another offer? That kind of thing. It's it's literally, it's no different than if you went to, you, know, you would know more about this, obviously, but um, maybe the, but if, if someone wanted to, to 
do I guess like pro bono work, if you will, or yeah. um, you, you'd seek someone out on a short term basis to say, I'm I'm kind of a I need just I just need to be consulted on my best option. But it doesn't mean moving forward that, that player is always tied to him. It's different where someone like George Mendez, who is directly embedded in Wolves' system, where Wolves have six players on the on the first team squad that are George Mendez clients. Interesting. Um, Nuno Espiritu Santo is also a George Mendes client. So Wolves' manager and six players are direct clients of him. And he actually does have the ear of uh, a Nuno and the club regarding um, kind of transfer business that they can afford. They have some players that might fit their profile. So that, that's a little bit different. And I think maybe that's what fans were assuming when all the key links were coming up. But, you know, all you have to do is do a little bit of research and you would kind of find out the things that I'm discussing with you. So, um, but, the, but the overall arching point is that agents are unavoidable and they have been. And just the thing, agents have been around for decades, but the idea of a super agent is a little bit different. Right. So I think that's I think, new. I think that's new yes. for, for, yeah. And we'll, and we'll, I'll get into that in a little bit because I know that we have a lot to talk about there. Um, I think that it's, it's interesting the point that you made about the the relationship between the player and a consultant versus an agent. I don't actually know the answer to that versus like Kia's relation, uh, contractual relationship with a player versus someone like Mendez's contractual relationship to a player. Like what certain rights and, and what is like the actual relationship? Is it just the fiduciary relationship? Meaning is it just based off of, of money and a percentage kind of the way a, like a real estate agent would work that they would help you find a place. And if you get it, you get a certain point, you know what I mean? Or is it, is it more of a consultancy aspect of it? And is it just being called a consultancy when it's actually an agent, which would be interesting? Because if you look at all the articles about Kia, I mean, it, they're saying that they're, they're using the term agent. And I think that there's a, there's a, a financial and a legal implication to using the term agent that yes. it, it, that basing what that I think is being mis misinformed is I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, from my understanding, I mean, it's the differences are, are, are probably actually pretty slight. It's not like just they're not wildly different, but yes, a legally, you know, because Kia is not an agent, there are. I mean, there's just legal ramifications of of that kind of tying him down so for like he will have his own financial consulting firm mm. but the, but the leverage that he can have in terms of something that George Mendez can do is slightly different so a if you look at it George Mendez has I mean I, I, I have to look at a guest foot is, is is the name of uh, his his agency consulting firm and they have like I said dozens of players some of the biggest names like if you go back to someone like Pepe, the center back for Real Madrid and the Portuguese international, he was one of George Mendes' clients. You know, you have um, uh, who else might think like Ruben Neves is a client, um, Bernardo Silva, like all these. If, uh, the top Portuguese names are George Mendes' clients essentially, and then filtered down through some other nationalities he has on, on his books. But Kia is only, you know, if you look at the players he directly works with right now, it's maybe I think it's like two or three. Um, so that's not. It's, it's almost like I don't. Know, I don't know how to how to how to equate it and put it into words as to as for what the differences are. But George Mendez can have a very much direct, tied, and documented um, uh, position of power in something like a football club. Kia, hmm. it's literally like if almost <laughs> to put it in layman's terms, it's almost kind of like if you need me, call me kind of thing. Whereas an agent 
who's an actual agent can have a, a far more vested interest, you know, a much more connection. It's much more financial implications as well for them. Uh, I mean, he makes an absolute truckload of money. Um, every time a player signs a deal or, or signs an extension, he, he gets a direct cut of it. Um, and I think that also plays into things like image rights and um, sponsorship and all that ties in with him. Kia does not have that connection, I'm pretty sure. Um, okay. I don't want to speak out of turn. Um, but so my understanding of it would be that, so say, for example, say when the Willian deal is finalized and say Kia played whatever role that he did in getting Willian this deal, um, Kia will get a cut of that and then that's it. And then at that point, ever again, if Willian did not want to use Kia to help him, you know, consult with a deal, he doesn't have to. As far as I know, they're not contractually obligated to work with Kia. With George Mendez, it's different. Like they sit down with this agency firm, they sign a deal with his with the, with his agency firm and him, and they are directly like clients of his. With Kia, it's more of just like again, like I'll come in and help you when you need something to get done. And after that point, you know, we we can break ties from here. But the thing is, if if he does a good job in getting them the money that they want. Then they're going to go back to him again. Obviously, I, I you know, think that's I think that's the ultimate difference based off what you're saying. Yeah. And there, it's a distinction with a difference. So I think yeah. the distinction really it comes down to the, uh, the basically you're getting paid for for getting the deal done versus you're getting uh, getting a deal done with Kia versus you're getting paid in uh, for a specific deal done with another player that's represented by by an agency. So, you know, if you're getting if you're getting a player that's represented by the agent, then there's all sorts of other perks that you get um, and percentages versus, you know, just, you know, going to any consultant or let's say let's say you get pulled over for a DUI. Right. And you go to a lawyer and you say, all right, you know, I've been driving and drinking and now I need an attorney. And he's saying, "Okay, well, my services are this much. And then he helps you get, you know, he helps you get justice or whatever that looks like for you and yeah. and then and you've already paid him and then that's it and, and now he's helped you right yeah. um he doesn't get like a like a percentage from the court you know of 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 helping you out or whatever right um he, you get uh he gets a, a fee for for the for the consultation but he has no vested interest really in you or in what the court does other than the fee that you paid him versus sure. someone like an agent who's like uh you know, like a right, I, I'm trying to think of the best way, like a representative, like basically stands in the foot of the player in the negotiations, right? You're not really negotiating with the player, you're negotiating with the agent. Right. So in our, our example, in our American example, we can utilize a Scott Boris. Scott yeah. Boris is that type of person where like when, and when John- for people who don't know, um, Scott yeah. Boris is a super agent in baseball. Pretty much you want any big name in baseball. You have to go to Scott Boris in, in, in just just kind of a background on that. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think no, it's no, important no. to have some background. So in just in 2019 alone, contracts signed by just Scott Boris clients were more than one billion dollars in one month in December. The client he signed uh, a total of more than a billion dollars worth of clients in one month, and he gets a, a, a percentage of that. So, yes. I, and if, if it was ten percent, he just made a hundred million dollars. So, I mean, there you go. So, yeah, lucrative. so you get a, you get a scope of what we're, what we're dealing with. So, it, yeah. it's not something new in American sports, and we'll get into that in a little bit more detail. But continue with what you're saying. I just wanted to provide. No, no, I, I was just saying with, with the Boris thing. It's it's very much like I was going to use. I, I was going to use another example that maybe people might not know, but Americans who do listen will know. When when John Carlos Stanton left the Marlins to go to the Yankees, 
it wasn't just like a he 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 dialed up Boris and said, "Yo, can you help me?" And then for a fee, he did. It's more of Boris will sit down with him and really hash things up because he has a other he has a vested interest with him as well because it's an actual client. So any any deal that comes off with Standin or whatever it might be, Boris will get a cut of it. Whereas and he's connected to it. Um, and essentially, I guess you can kind of almost say that he's a kind of like a power broker in a way. Um, but yeah, the, so the difference between Mendez and and, and, and Kia is so Mendez does have some clout with, with wolves in terms of, you know, how they handle their transfer business. Um, the kind of like he, he's the, the first person they'll come to in terms of, we need this type of player, this type of profile, this age position, you know, are, are your clients fit that bill? Um, so I, I guess it helps that, he, that, that Nuno is one of his clients as well, that probably um, got his foot in the door in, in that regard. But, um, Wolves never would have got someone like um, Ruben Neves, who when they got him when they were in the championship, mind you, um, without Jorge Mendes. So it's kind of, you, you get what you get, right? So you, you have to, if you're okay with risking that kind of connection to, to someone who has that much power um, financially, if you do it well enough and if you structure it well enough, it can pay off in terms of you're going to find yourself getting players that maybe you thought you weren't going to be able to get before. Um, so it's kind of like just the, the I guess the, dealing with the devil you know in, in a way hmm. um but yeah but with kia there's no guarantee moving forward that um all these players are going to be contractually obligated to him long-term kind of thing um but if, yeah, ever, i think people had a concern about that so i think when people were looking at the relationship between like their technical director edu who's obviously a quote client whatever the yeah. fu- implications of that of kia you know, uh, so he's a client quote of Kia and um, or represented by him. So they were kind of looking at that and going, look, there seems to be a, for lack of better word, kind of like an incestuous relationship there in the sense that we're kind of, you know, like a Mendez, uh, a Mendez with, with Wolves thing. Um, and I think that without with the exception of Wolves, a, a kind of unique position. So what yeah. what is the difference there? I guess you're kind of pointing out a little bit, but. It seems like it well, seems like that's you, the concern people had. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. So let's go back to your example, or I'll just use myself as an example. Say if I get a DUI and you know I, I'm like, oh crap, like I don't actually have a lawyer, and then I can go uh, to my friend uh, John, who I went, went to school with. Um, ironically enough, <laughs> not you, but, but my <laughs> friend John, John who I, my friend John, who I went to school with, he's actually a lawyer, and I could call him up and say. Look, I got into DUI. I need legal representation. You know, I, I need kind of need your guidance consulting. So for a fee, John will sit me down, go through my legal options. If there's a case, he'll handle the case. And once that case is over and the judgment is finished, that's it. That's it. I've, I've paid John his fee. He's he's gotten me out of a jam, and our relationship technically ends at that point. Right. Now, the way it works with Kia is the the client. So in my case, if I want to retain John as my lawyer full time. I can do that, but I'm not obligated to. With George Mendez, it's if I was, I don't know, um, some famous pop star and I wanted a full-time, I'm paying directly, regularly, a lawyer to, to handle any contractual matters that I go through. I'm paying that lawyer a fee However, many times, uh, you know, if it's once a month or whatever it might be, 
and they are in fact my lawyer full time. So you, mm. like essentially like you can't speak to me without speaking to my lawyer kind of thing. Oh, got key, it. So so yeah. they're like on, they're like on retain they're contractually like on yeah. retainer or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Interesting. So when when Bernardo Silva who's at city when it comes to contract negotiation time or if a bid comes in for him or for it might be you don't really just speak to him you're speaking to, to george mendez and and usually when you speak when people say that you know players are negotiations a lot of times it's 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 the agents doing the negotiating and then that they're taking any information that they're getting back from whether it's city or from the bid that's come in and he's bringing that information to bernardo Silva, and then they're making a decision Right. So it's not, so you don't just speak, to, it's one of those kind of things. And you see that in like kind of famous equipped moves all the time. You know, if you want to talk to me, talk to my lawyer kind of thing. Like that's very right. much what that is. With, with Kia, it's different. Like the player has the, the choice to say, you know, I've gotten these offers. Will you handle it for me? But it's, it's not an obligation to do it. So, for example, like I said with Willie, and now that a deal is finalized and he's at Arsenal, at that point, he had, he could have the choice to say, you know, I don't want to deal with Kia anymore for whatever reason it might be. We don't need to have those details, obviously. So he's not contractually obligated to stay with him over the long term. Um, but with people like Mendes, it's an actual agency. It's an actual contract kind of deal. Whereas when you get this player, you get George Mendes. When you get Willie, you don't necessarily get Kia. So that's the difference. So this is fundamentally different, therefore, than the structure at Wolves is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Okay, so people who might think, "Look, this is kind. Of, this seems a little corrupt." Um, there might be elements of that, obviously. Uh, but analyzing contact, if you consider using contacts in an industry to your advantage or your client's advantage, quote right. client, uh, corrupt, then yeah. But it, I think it seems there seems to be a fundamental difference between how we're our situation and Wolves. Yes, yes. I'm 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 not sitting here worried that every player we're going to get moving forward is going to be influenced by Kia Draption. I'm not. If I was worried about that, I would absolutely dispense those worries and and, and to, to the general public and and, and say it whether it's on Twitter or writing or on this podcast. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sitting here concerned because if you look at it, there's been other players who we've we've signed it, it, this calendar year that have no ties to him at all. Um, and in fairness, again, at Wolves. Not every player they signed has been a George Mendez player, even though they they could be, but they're not. So still very much the club and Edu and um, you know Husfami and every, anyone who's working on transfer deals or contract negotiations. We still very much have one hundred percent power to say these are the players we want. They don't have hmm. to be Kia Draption players. We're not obligated to work with him on deals. Um, by it's default. not like a right of first refusal that you know. Right, exactly. However if the that's probably something the club could actually do if they wanted to legally i don't know if that they would or not or if they will or not or if they could or not i'm not that high up on on the knowledge to know if you know if the club's going to contractually tie itself to working with kia exclusively i doubt that my understanding is edu and kia have a working relationship i think kia has worked with um raul before raul's also worked with uh george mendes before and i think it's, it's no different than if you know you're in for a player and you know their agent, then that helps the deal go slightly more smoothly. If you already have your, that's getting your foot in the door before the, the, the negotiations even start. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It is a bad thing. If at some point the worry does come up and, and people are concerned of every player we're going to sign now is going to have to involve Kia. If it turns out to actually be that moving forward, I would also be frustrated as well, to be honest with you. So, 
Yeah, and look, I think that it's a good segue. We mentioned it earlier, and we would touch on it a little bit more, and so I think now's a better time than ever. Um, talking about these super agents, um, and we mentioned Scott Boris, who I think is like the quintessential super agent, at least in American sports when you're considering baseball. Um, that's the one with the bat and the little tiny ball and all the people running around in the grass, uh, for those uh, who don't know what baseball is. Uh, a joke, obviously. But look, uh, I think that when you're, as an American, and I think you can attest to this, the notion of a super agent is not something scary um, just because it's it's something that we're so used to in the experience of being an American sports fan, whether it's baseball or or basketball or, you know, football, American football, whatever. The super agent is kind of like the norm here. Um, and I think that now, as we're starting to see them become a little bit more popular, at least in the in in the Premier League and in the eyes of Arsenal, where, as you mentioned earlier, Wenger and everyone else kind of got this notion that we weren't going to work with them. It was this taboo thing that, you know, it wasn't a great idea. Um, and it looks like we're starting to abandon slightly um, that notion, uh, at least working with Kia, who we've already said is not technically an agent per se, but uh, is definitely a figure that maybe Wenger wouldn't like to have worked with in the past for whatever reasons that he had. Um, as it pertains to American sports, the, the super agent, just so for people don't know, is like we mentioned, someone like Scott Boris, who has basically, if you need any kind of particular client, uh, like Mendez, if you if you have a Portuguese client, like you go to Mendez, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's he won't he won't have every Portuguese player on his books, but for example, Ronaldo's not the client of his. So, right. I mean, if you, if you want any, if you want any like top, top level relevant, Portuguese player, relevant, right? And right. and if they're not a client of his, he could probably put you in touch with who that player's agent is because he that's the other thing he himself is incredibly well connected in the game like he'll probably have a direct line to any big club if you asked him to it so that's the other notion of that is when you're getting someone like him or an agent in general and they are well connected if they can't directly help you they might know somebody who can okay. so and if that gives you any leverage moving into a, a, a transfer deal i don't inherently see that as a bad thing Right. And and that kind of leads me into what, what I was saying about the deal itself and, and kind of the structure, the financial structure of of something like, let's say, uh, the NBA, for example, which is the National Basketball Association. Um, and, you know, we have drafts and salary limits and caps and things like that. Do you think that plays an impact? Like, do you think that that the the nature of the Premier League from a financial perspective is is that we should look at it differently in terms of the super agent? Uh, I know that there was a comment that was made uh, on the video that we did previously about that kind of difference, um, whether there's whether there's an effect on the way that the the actual league is structured financially and, and the impact that that would have on something like, you know, is it reasonable to have these these super agents and, and, and things like that? I mean, I don't think so, because for me, the issue was always going to be and again, rightly or wrongly, you can agree or disagree with the notion of them. But players do have the right to be represented in a, in a, in a way that is financially fair to them to make sure that they get the best deal for them. And that's really all an agent does at the end of the day. It, and again, you you've, you can dig back and, and search through. There's plenty of examples of um 
players who just were poorly financially advised, whether it's because you know their brother wanted to help them with the contract, or if they wanted to do it on their own, yeah. they, they put themselves into a lot of poor deals. And and people forget Look at it, like Anelka, Anelka, Anelka is Anelka is a prime example. And if you, and if you think about it, um, one of the things that people forget that a, a large amount of um, people who are, are, are sports agents actually are trained lawyers because you have to understand contract law to be able to become a licensed agent most of the time. So again, this is more of a, of a, of a legal thing. It's, it's, I want to know that a, I'm getting the best deal for myself for sure, but I also want to know, I know I want to know that I'm legally protected as well. And I think people oftentimes forget that it's actually a consideration that professional athletes have to go through just because they're making an absolute obscene, obscene amount of money it's still making sure that legally they're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so again, I, I don't, I, I don't think it matters. Yes. Obviously we have um, you know, drafts here, um, but also people forget. So say, for example, say John, say you are the, the top linebacker coming into the NFL draft and you, nice. went to, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. Say you went, nice. to Clemson, you went to Clemson, you get drafted number one overall by whatever team decided to absolutely shit the bed that year. Um, and you, okay. you get you, you get a contract and you get like a $30 million signing bonus on the spot. Nice, nice. A, a lot of the times, especially in American sports, you, you'll hear of young players. These, these kids are 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, and they get that amount of money up front and they lose their minds. They don't know what to do. And then they're broke within five years and literally they've lost all their money. Yeah, you, you know, hear that all or, the time. You hear that all the time. You hear about teams – taking advantage of the fact that these people, they don't know contract law. They don't know what they're talking about. They just see a big number figure, but they don't read through the fine print. Like this happens regularly. Don't, I mean, inherently most sports franchises, a lot of times if they can get one over on the players, they will. And that's in any sport and including football. Um, that's not just exclusive to American sports. So having something like an agent, it doesn't matter if there's drafts coming into a league or if there's, if there's, if there's nothing of the sort and, you know, um, in football at all, it's, it's, it's the, the base point is that players should, and also do have the right to make sure that they're going to be okay in terms of how they're being treated financially, what their rights are, well, you know, legally, are they going to be okay? That kind of yeah. thing. Um, so I don't think it matters. I mean, I understand the point, you know, where maybe like, and I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good, uh, a good example. Um, so the difference between American sports and football, the, the one key difference would be um, ownership groups are tied together and they collectively work together, which is why we have things like collective bargaining agreements. But I don't want to go down like a rabbit hole like that now because that's a whole yeah, other. I think, I think we could, I think we, you know, I think your your point's well taken. And ultimately yeah. there is a, there's the distinction between the two kind of sports worlds that yeah. I think that the concerns that may be related to that in terms of what, you know, what is problematic or not problematic in terms of having agents, in terms of having super agents, in terms of that becoming the norm might be a little bit misguided. So I, I'm right there with you. I think that it's a qualitative difference between the two sports. 
yeah. uh, the sports worlds. Um, and I don't really think you can ascribe one to the other other than, look, this is a basic uh, tenant of young players who are going to get a lot of money and a lot of co- uh, tricky contract situations, having someone who's specialized in negotiating and understanding these contracts by their side to, to do it. That's literally what an agent is. Yep. Um, it's not the scary, nefarious you know, position. So, okay. That being said, speaking of agents and speaking of transfers, um, I think that 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 segues really well into the the uh, you know the news that Willian had just kind of said his goodbyes to Chelsea, and it does appear that he's going to be coming to Arsenal now. Um, uh, I would imagine, right? And that's if ever if all of the smoke leads to some kind of fire. William would be coming. So do you think that deal is going to get done? What do you think the, what do you think is happening there? Yeah, I think so. I think we'll hear something this week. Obviously I'm purely speculating, but again, if you connect the dots, it just, it kind of leads to that, you know, um, Chelsea are out of Europe now, you know, the domestic season's over. There's no reason why he can't move forward with a deal. Um, I would imagine they wouldn't have wanted to either camp would have wanted to announce things before the Champions League tie um, with Bayern yesterday. Um, yeah, which was hilarious which was hysterical so thanks Byron I don't thank you for much but thanks for that one um <laughs> but yeah no, I think it will and 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 I think we've talked about a lot with 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 uh with Tom and the boys that I, I'm not inherently against the move I mean I understand you know uh, uh maybe people won't want to be tied down on a long-term deal to someone who is 30 or 31 but there's a whole other debate in there about about uh, sports science and and because players are lasting longer in their careers 30 or 31 might not be such a such a devil's number anymore you know, per se, but um, for base value as a player, I think William can actually really help us, and I think um, he comes in being arguably one of our, our best attacking players on the books. Period. You know, Bar, uh, Oba, Laka, and, and and Pepe. You know, he comes in. He, he's better than Nelson. He's better than Saka. He's better than Martinelli. Um, and if you look at it for for just that base fact alone, he improves us. He gives us better depth. Um, a, a better ability to rotate, to deal with injuries if anything happens. Um, he gives us a good option to start in, in Europa League matches now that we have that this year. And people often forget as well that getting Europa League, which is which is great, um, it means that we're going to have to rely on that depth more. And I, I think a lot of us could agree we were probably pretty light on depth this year. Um, and why I take it that we have some wonderful young talents who have a, a lot of potential but they're they're not. I I don't think any of them are really there to, to heavily rely on on the season in terms of um, where they can push us. And I think they'll play well overall. But um, you still need that bit of experience that William will bring you. He he is actually quite creative, and, and that's something Arteta wanted to earmark as something he wanted to improve on in the team. Um, and he created the seventh most chances in the Premier League last season. So if I was to go to you and tell you that. Arsenal on a free, we're going to get the player who created the seventh most chances in the league last year on a free deal without telling you it was Willian or what his age or what his contract um, was going to be. You'd probably bite my hand off and say, yeah, we need that in this team right now. So if you remove his age and you remove his wages, which actually aren't going to be this this money bag thing that people assumed, then you take that. And I think if if we want to improve this team, both in the short and long term, we have to look at kind of deals like this at times because a lot of people assume when they hear the term like, you know, rebuild and moving forward and we're looking at long term that things we're only going to bring in a bunch of 20 year olds and look at, you know, the next three to five year plan. No, the whole, you still need experience in your team. You still need someone who can come in now and contribute immediately. If not starting, they get a lot of minutes in rotation, you know, and really be a really good choice off the bench. And if we look back to, um, 
you know, other examples this season where we saw our bench and we were just like, listen, I, I don't trust anyone to come in and really make a difference. Willian is a player who will make a difference. Um, yep. And just because he's signing a three or four year deal does not mean he's going to be here for all three or four years. People also forget that he could he could stay here for two years, do a job, and then we could part ways because he wants to go somewhere else to retire. Maybe he goes to you know into Miami, for example. You never know; these things can happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just because, just because I had to do a little little MLS jab because um, yeah. we've seen that time and again. But honestly, he'd probably smash it for into Miami for two years. <laughs> so it doesn't yeah, really matter. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't take much. No, so um, yeah, I just feel like we we have to be a little bit more fluid in um, understanding a lot of the things that we want right now. Um, we can we can't have it all. In an ideal world, would be would be get every player we bring in is yet in Sancho, but that's not the case. Right. So yeah, yeah, and I think that's a great point. And look, you're looking at this trend that we're you know we got Martinelli, uh, David Luiz. Now we're getting Willian. And now we're linked to another Brazilian. Um, obviously, we're talking about Gabriel here. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting one that one, and it looks like there might be some truth to it. Obviously, the, it's still all rumors and all that fun stuff. But I mean, he looks like a solid player, left-footed center back. Um, obviously, Mari is injured now, so we can't really rely on him. Um, but what, what do you make of this one? Do you think there's any truth to this one? Do you think it's one that we should be looking at? Uh, is it off the left field? What, what's going on? And a bonus question, are we developing a Brazilian core now? <laughs> well, I, I'd be fine with a Brazilian core, to be honest with you. Um, it's, a, it's a market where if you get direct, like if you, if, uh, if you look at a deal like Martinelli, if Martinelli was in Europe when we got him, he would have been three or four times the price. Like we got him for pennies. If you look at how quickly he developed and what his potential ceiling is, that's an absolute steal of a deal. So if you were to insert him into, I don't know, the Eredivisie and he was at PSV, he would have cost 40 million pounds or 30 million pounds, whatever it could have been. Um, So I do think it's, I'm not against getting a Brazilian core because obviously if you have Edu who is himself Brazilian, he'll know the lay of the land down there and he'll have, and he worked in the Brazilian FA setup as well. So he'll have, knowledge of anyone who's up and coming maybe who's slightly under the radar that's that's something we should absolutely farm if we could and you see clubs like real madrid do that and also P- psv P- people forget that both romario and ronaldo played at psv um right. so i'm off and, and regularly brazilians still will filter in from 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 the brazilians area and they'll go right into the netherlands they'll play two years there and then they'll move on to a much bigger team so if we can get them directly without that bumper move I'm all for that. Um, regarding Gabriel, I'm I'm kind of up on that as well. You know, it's it suits the kind of profile you need. I think it's it's been made clear that Arteta wants a left-footed left center back. Um, I don't think we'd be looking at the deal if Mari was fit. Um, but moving forward as well, there's nothing wrong with having competition and options again, depth. So if you have Mari and Gabriel as your two left-footed center backs for 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 for, for that side of the pairing, um, or that side of the back three, if we're going to end up playing a back three whenever we do. I'm all for that as well. Um, one's a longer-term project because I think Gabriel's only 21. Um, so we still have some room to grow. I don't think it's going to come in and, and, and be this, you know, a, a legacy-defining centre-back fright from the off. I don't think we're going to be getting that. And, and neither is Saliba, I don't think. I think both of them, while they're very good young players, they'll still need time to adapt, time to grow. Um, and we're not going to see the best of them for, for quite a while. But um, I do think it's a, a kind of signing we should be making. I think it's for um, a potential fee we could afford. 
Um, I do think he, he gives us a, a lot we, we can do. He can play out of the back. He does have a good, a longer pass on him, and I think you pointed that out as well. Um, he can help bypass the press, which I think is going to be pretty key. Um, yeah. More and more teams are pressing in the Premier League. So having a defender who can can look up and pick a, a, a better pass instead of forcing us into a scenario where we're pinned in, into, the, into the defensive third, you're going to want that. So, yeah, um, we're seeing how we're seeing with David Luiz how useful that can be when it's done properly. Oh, how many times does he ping a 45 yard ball and it gets us out of trouble and then yeah. springs an attack on his own? So that's huge to have that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm all for that. I, I don't think it's it's as done as people are saying. You know, everything shows that there's just quite a few other teams that are interested in him. So we're going to have to do a little bit of wheeling and dealing. Um, even if it doesn't come off, I do think it's encouraging to know that we're still in for those kind of players. So again, it, it dispels the notion that we're only going to go after contract mercenaries that are you know past thirty years old, like William. I think the William deal is serving a purpose, and we're getting him on a free because I think we're trying to save the actual transfer budget for deals like Gabriel or, or, or Thomas Partey, whoever it might be. Um, so it does show that we're, we're, we're taking a balanced approach in the market this summer and actually trying to target all of our needs in one go. Because how many times can we think back and, and say, you know, we went into a summer knowing we needed. X, Y, and Z for positions, but we only actually got one of them. And how many times did I go on record saying, well, I think Nicola Pepe is a brilliant player and he has a lot to give and we haven't even seen 50% of what he can do yet because he hasn't fully settled. But his price tag was, was the most off-putting part because you could have taken that money and divided amongst two or three positions in the squad and gotten two or three good to very good young players to fill out the depth and, and give us options rather than putting 80 million pounds into one player. So if we're going to do, and again, if it comes off and he ends up being brilliant, it's, it's, it's wonderful. But if it right. ends up being an iffy deal, then we're going to look back and say we never should spend that much money on it. So I think if we're taking more, less risky uh, transfer stances while still targeting players who can come in and not only have a role now, but moving forward, they have potential, I think that's a good course to take. So yeah, inherently, I think for base value, I'm, I'm all for it. Okay, it, then in that case, I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Sure. Uh, in, in your in your perspective, what is a perfect, realistic summer for you? Oh man, um, I always retort with this. You know, it depends on the positions we're targeting. But if it was my choice, so yeah. Like, let's say let's say you're looking at the squad and sure. you get to pick what positions we're targeting, and and you know who we're bringing in, and assuming arguendo that we can get those deals done. All right, so obviously I'm, I'm realistic. Looking. No, I'm not saying like you know, messy yeah, you, or whatever. How many times do you ever hear me say nonsense like that, though? To be fair, <laughs> no, uh, you I'll, don't. You don't. But I just yeah. need to do it because I think when you know, if someone's someone's listening and going, "Well, he didn't say messy in center midfield," obviously, <laughs> you know, like clearly this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, like let's fair. be realistic here. Like, we're not talking about the perfect, ideal, platonic form of a player that we're going to sign. Let's get one that Arsenal could likely get done. Fair enough. All right. So uh, if it was me, I'd be looking at building a team around the notion of playing 4-3-3. So we're good on left back. We're good on keeper times two. Uh, moving forward, we do need center backs because you know, Socrates and Louise aren't going to be here. So um, I would be getting a left-footed center back. I mean, I'd probably look at maybe someone like Malang Sar. I know their jury might be slightly still out on him, but um, I think That's he's an interesting type, shot. He's, I mean, he's on a free as well. Um, but he's the type of player who I think you could also build long-term with Saliba. You know, they're both French. They're both French under-21s. 
so they'll have some inherent understanding and, and level of compatibility, which is what you want moving forward to build a squad. And still, they can still both learn under someone like a David Louise for another year or two um, and get that that kind of hand over the shoulder, on the shoulder, if you will. Um, I don't think we need a right back. I think we desperately need a defensive-minded midfielder. So I don't know if I would go for Partey. Um, I'm pretty high on Dennis Zakaria, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, also, he comes with um, built-in chemistry with Granit Xhaka. They play for the Swiss national team together. So um, while he might not be the, the big name like Partey is, I think if you look at it, um, he brings chemistry, built-in chemistry already in with a midfield partner. And I think that's important for building a squad. Um, also, I think he would be slightly cheaper. Um, I'd also probably look at another midfielder. Um, I think a lot of people throw around um, Zobuschlei as an option. Um, if you're looking for a, a player to, to drive play forward, uh, you could do that. But I would actually probably put more faith in Emil Smith-Rowe. I know that's kind of kind of like a wall I didn't expect it. I, I don't think we need to spend on every position. And um, I think if you rotate someone like um, him and Danny Ceballos in that 810 hybrid role, I do think we should retain Ceballos because while I wasn't convinced at first, I think he came on and he played a really big role for us later on in the season. And it's, it's clear that he himself is also settling now too. And in an ideal world, Ceballos is a much more forward thinking player than we've seen. We've used him deeper in, in, in a midfield pivot because we've needed extra cover for the defense and he's had to, to come back and, and, and track back more. But in the ideal world, he's probably the most forward thinking in a midfield three. And you, you'll see him pick the ball up and drive play forward or, uh, or be able to, uh, to, uh, to be a little bit creative um, in, in, in kind of those half space positions. So um, I probably would uh, retain Zabayos, give Emil Smith a, a much larger role to play in the team. Um, and then, obviously, uh, I'd want to keep Lacazette. <laughs> um, I would probably sell Oba. I know this is going to be where people are going to be like, get off the show. Um, oh, and it's, wow. And it's, and it's not because he doesn't bring you goals. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. Um, I just feel like it, being able to, 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 to worry about having more money available to, to kind of spread across the team if you need to. And I don't think that long-term it'll still be able to coexist um and i think oba's doing a wonderful job for us and he, he's been banging some big goals but I, I again i just don't know how sustainable it is because at no point in his career has he ever you know post Antian, he's never played out wide regularly for multiple seasons and it's come off quite well so that would be my concern um and also like our, our weight structure is just diabolically poor you know and and um I would probably, I would probably sell him, and I would probably maybe look to, uh, look to, um, maybe you know, uh, invest in left winger, or I would just put faith in in, in Saka and Martinelli, and I think um, Martinelli showed at large points before his injury that he actually is borderline ready to actually start for the club now, and I think that's a big shout. But um, uh, yeah, I just think he. That, think of that goal against Chelsea. He did not, at no point did he look like, you know, some uh, <laughs> some clean shaven, you know, under experienced player at that point. He, the, the composure, the way the way he took the goal, his understanding of his own movements, he showed these actually ahead of the curve. Um, and when you have a player that's ahead of the curve, you want to play them. And I know that 
we can sit here and, and, and people will think back and say, well, you just said you don't want to rely on, on too many young players. And that's true. But you have to find that balance. If you don't rely on a young player that shows that they're ahead of the curve, you don't get someone like Jaden Sancho exploding in the way he did at Borussia Dortmund, mm. for, just for an example. Or, you know, yeah. Mason Greenwood at United, even at Rashford. You know, a lot of people criticize Rashford because he's not scoring 35 goals a year. But Rashford made his debut, his full league debut against us, scored a brace, and he had faith ever since. And he's started over 30 league matches ever since then. And he's gotten better with every year. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the only way to for, for someone like a Martinelli or a Saka to, to, to improve in the level that you need them to is they have to play week in, week out. So I would well, probably okay. Yeah. So Go to on. backing to backing up because I think look, selling Aubameyang is a very I would I think you know controversial point uh, <laughs> way to have it. And look, that's fine. Like everyone, you know, if you if you feel that that would be best, I I asked you the question. That's how you feel. Um, but I guess counterpoint, just in terms of Martinelli playing week in and week out, isn't that couldn't Arteta utilize Europa League for that? Now that we're in the competition, so it, would would it? Would that still be a justification for you knowing that Martinelli might be getting those regular minutes once he's fit? I think yes and no, because, again, at some point, Europa League isn't enough. And this is something that I tried to explain to a lot of people where it happens a lot more often in someone like the Bundesliga or Liga or even Serie A now where you're seeing younger, younger players who are playing more if if they show that they, they, they can handle it then they're played it's that when you hit like 18 or 19 and if you look at specifically if you if you look at somewhere like france or germany the netherlands portugal even spain those type of leagues you you hit a point in your development as a younger player where getting the odd match here and there isn't enough anymore because you've you've done at that point when you hit that age you've done the vast majority of your 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 your, your, your your technical progression as a player most most of the time at, at that point it's about everything else that matches give you that training doesn't so that's why uh, i'll take a, a, a an example of uh, names that a lot of uh premier league fans will know just through news or, or one of the teams someone like a team Werner or or kai havertz both of them made their debuts full club debuts at 17 and have been first choice since that point and they weren't up for a Ballon d'Or in their first year. You know, I think Havertz scored maybe two goals and had three assists in his first season when he was 17. But look where he is now. Same thing with Timo Werner. He, you know, he made his debut. Uh, I think he also, I think he had three or four goals this first season. But now he's one of the most coveted, you know, forward players in Europe. And, and, and to Chelsea's credit, they, they picked him up and they got him. So, um, I, I, Europa League was never going to be enough for those players. If that's all they were getting for two years, they wouldn't have developed as quickly as they did. Hmm. Um, and they wouldn't have seen it. So, And then on, on, on the flip, if you notice by the time a player is 18 or 19 that they haven't gotten to the level where they can compete for first-team minutes regularly, then that's when you want to loan them out, which is why I've been a, a really big advocate for doing something like sending uh, Reese Nelson back on the loan, because I think we can all agree he didn't play it nearly enough this season. And it, he's showing signs of maybe his development track is slightly beginning to stagnate a little bit. It's not that he doesn't have potential still. It's that he's not getting enough. So that's probably why I would say I would put faith in, in, in the young player. And I think Hector Bayer is another example. Now, the jury's kind of out amongst the fan base about how good he is. 
But I think we can all agree that the way he progressed when he, when he got chucked in against that match against Borussia Dortmund, and he had an absolute awful debut. Mm, but, look, but look how well he came on post that to keep his head down and work, and eventually became first choice at the club within a season. And and bef- and before his injury, you know, people were worried that Barcelona were going to come in for him. And I want to repeat it again: our fan base was worried that Barcelona was going to come in for Hector Bellerin. So it's not that he's never been rated by our fan base. And it's not that he was never a very good player because people were talking about the fact that he could have been arguably the best right back in the league before he started dealing with injuries. And I don't think that track happens as quickly if he didn't, you know, if that injury to Debushi never happened. So um, he took his chance to his credit. Uh, Alfonso Davies is another example um, at Bayern. Um, you know, they, you know, they, they, he, he came from MLS and within a, you know, a season of, of, of playing full time, people are now, and I, I kind of actually hate this, people are now saying he's one of the best left backs in Europe. That part's up for debate, but what isn't up for debate is when he got his chance to start, he took it, and now he's developed. But he wouldn't have developed this quickly without it. So it's about finding that balance. Um, and we're and, and thankfully, we're blessed with two left side, young left-sided attacking players who both have enormous amounts of potential. So yeah, and, and I guess going back to the initial question, do you do you really not think though that because uh, my my point was that Europa could provide that consistency? I mean, there's plenty of as depending on how how far we make it in the tournament. I mean, you could be playing. I guess I it's guess only would 10, you it's be, only ten uh, matches though. Think of it. that's only ten starts. That's not so. Enough. I guess what you're what you're saying it needs to be more consistent and more regular. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Okay. I don't, and especially because. Say you only give Martinelli Europa League. He's he's still in and out of the starting eleven. It's I played on Thursday and, and, and against Ludogorets or whatever, and then I'm not starting at the weekend. And then sometimes you don't have a Europa League match every week. So what if he doesn't get another start? And then a lot of times for things like the FA Cup or the League Cup, it's not even Martinelli that would get to start. It's it's someone who's behind him in the depth chart. Someone who's even younger than him might might get that start, depending. Um, you know, maybe someone like it could have been like someone like Balogun if, if he ended up staying, just as an example, um, which is a good time to also assess those players to see where they are in their developments and, and how they've looked when they get pushed up a level. Um, no, I, I don't, again, I don't think that a, like eight to 10 Europa League starts a season and then the odd start in the league is enough when you clearly have a younger player who has not just has potential, but he's far closer to hitting that level fast, like you know, than than the average player, you, I think you you just put faith in that young player. I've, okay. I've always look. Uh, like I said, like I said, I think I think that there's merit to that. I just think that because of where we are right now, what yeah. what bombing just did for us, it's definitely let's call it an unpopular opinion. But you know, if all opinions were popular, then you'd just be saying what everyone <laughs> wants to hear rather than what you feel, and that's not what I'm asking of you. So well, I do I, appreciate I, that. I can also go into the tactical implications of it, but again, that's a whole other half an hour that we don't really have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, so I think look, that's a that's a, a good place to to end it more than anywhere. But if people want to find you on uh, on social media in terms of your your wherever, where, where can they find you? <laughs> so on Twitter, it's FM Lair. So it's F M L E H R E R, and then you can find me, you know, podcasting and writing for Guna Talk. Um, I also write for Yoma Arsenal, uh, Get German Football News outside of the boot and um bundesliga fanatic so yeah are you uh is there any kind of interesting stuff that you're working in the pipeline that you're willing to talk about uh yeah um a couple for uh, Gunna, uh for Gunna talk i'm doing a piece on ironically on obama yang and um 
how him being out wide now is is, is a throwback to when he was at Santiam before he went to Borussia Dortmund and how it, how it's been working for us and why. I also want how to topical. Do, how topical? How topical? I'm also going to end up doing a piece on why Edu coming in and being decisive and and how he wants to move the club forward is actually exactly what this club needed. So those two things, and then for I always I have pieces in the pipeline and everywhere else I'm working on it's it's far too much and my, my brain's completely wiped right now <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah so this is a bunch and and I always put them on when, when I post them and I'm always happy to to chat on Twitter just please and and I'll be the first to admit this I have a very finite amount of um temper control when people decide to go on Twitter and be not the nicest for no reason. So just come and debate and be respectful. And I'm always happy to have a debate discussion about anything involved or anything involving anything. So yeah, the door's always open. Absolutely. And I know that to be true, having you know, <laughs> known you for a while now, uh, bo- bo- both sides of that statement. So uh, I just wanted to thank you for coming on. I know this is your first time and, uh, you know, hope that we'll have you on again sometime. Yeah, thanks, buddy. It was, it was great, great to come on and I'm, I'd love to come back. So, and thank you to the listeners as well. And hope you guys enjoy your, your Sundays and, and your Mondays moving forward. So. Absolutely. Thanks again. done another episode of 305 cast the arsenal miami podcast is in the bag i want to thank my guest drew again for coming on today wonderful conversation always a good time talking to him and you know look here's the thing at the end of the day you can always disagree with someone but just be respectful look do whatever you want at the end of the day but my my big thing is just being nice to people you could disagree with someone and you can have a respectful intelligent conversation you might not change their mind maybe they'll change yours but as long as you're being humane about it and being reasonable uh, I think that that's that's a much better way to go about things but what do I know do whatever you want Uh, I want to also thank Playbrook Products. So I have a little uh, Arsenal giveaway to two fans who like or retweet um, the, uh, the post that I have on my Twitter page. Basically, you can win these really, really cool mugs that they do for Arsenal. They do all sorts of stuff, actually. Um, they do these like greatest plays, uh, and they have like posters and cups and mugs. I actually found out about them before I had just randomly came across them and I bought these leather coasters with these famous Arsenal goals on them and they're super cool and they have uh the ones that we're giving away are these ones that are the the Aubameyang's goal in the FA Cup uh that we just recently saw that we all know about so go check them out regardless but definitely go like and retweet what I did on my Facebook uh Facebook (laughs) that's not a thing anymore right is it Uh, not for not for our generation anyway whatever point is um you go go check them out on my on my Twitter. Go check out the post, uh, and otherwise, just go check them out anyway because they have some great stuff. You can get ten percent off by using three hundred five cast. Again, that's Playbook products, and you can get ten percent off by using three hundred five cast. So, yeah, let's see. We got a uh, what do we got coming up? We got some interesting stuff coming up. We have the Community Shield in like tomorrow, right, or something like that. Like right after the FA Cup, we have the Community Shield, and then uh, the season starts the next day. So we got a lot of good stuff to look forward to. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything else. So on that note, cheers. (laughs) 